and welcome. You're listening to the Safety and Health Podcast by SHP. I'm your host, Ian Hart, and I'm the editor of SHP. In this episode, we're going to look back and look forward. The discussion you're about to hear was recorded at Safety and Health Expo in May and focused on the COVID-19 pandemic and how it could be argued that the safety profession is now viewed in a more positive light by the general public. The panel talked about the opportunities for increasing collaboration across teams and changing the direction of safety in the workplace through genuine staff engagement. The session was moderated by Heather Beach, Managing Director of the Healthy Work Company. Heather was joined on the panel by Adam Clark, Managing Director Consulting at Practice 42, Matt Hall, Interim Deputy Director of Patient Safety and Risk at the Royal Free London NHS Foundation Trust, and Caroline Smith, Health Safety and Wellbeing Director at the VPS Group. Welcome everyone. We are here to talk about something which has been, I guess, an unforeseen benefit for the profession, which is the raising of the profile of health and safety during the pandemic. So we're here to look at some of the pros that have come out of that and also some of the cons, some of the things that you had to deal with. And I've got an amazing panel with me here today. This is Matt, then we have Carolyn and we have Adam. I'm going to start by asking you to basically just introduce yourself and say what were the biggest things for you that changed during COVID for the health and safety profession? Can be from your own experience, can be from what you noticed out there. So I'm going to start with you, Matt, if you could introduce yourself and start for me there. Thank you, Heather. So my name's Matt Hall. I'm Interim Deputy Director for Patient Safety and Risk at the Royal Free London Hospital. Prior to this and all through COVID, I was Head of Health and Safety. So probably the biggest change for me was right when it hit, health and safety became the most important team alongside infection prevention and control. So we moved away from this silo working to working together. I think I did about 2,000, 2,500 fit tests in the first few months. So I became a full-time fit tester as we developed our resource in there. But the big thing for us was that people were coming to us to ask us about things. And the biggest thing around fit testing was the fact that people realised that PPE is important and fitting PPE is important. So not just the masks that they're wearing on the face, but the gloves, the gowns, they suddenly realised that actually safety is important. Thank you very much, Matt. Let's have a little show of hands. Who else found that health and safety suddenly became really important? Almost a full house. That's brilliant, thank you. Carolyn, introduce yourself and what changed for you or for the health and safety profession from your perspective? I'm Carolyn Smith. I'm health and safety director for the VPS group. I actually joined VPS in the middle of the pandemic, so that in itself was interesting. But because there'd been a gap between having a safety director till I joined, I found people really welcomed me because they wanted the guidance, they wanted to reach out. So straight on from the get-go when I joined the business, people wanted to work with me. They realised that having no health and safety director to steer and guide them, they wanted me to reach out, support them. And I had to become like an expert overnight, so I swatted up quite a lot on the government guidelines and sort of made it easy for everybody else to understand. And I found that the biggest thing that I've took from this is that when you engage with them and you work with them, they actually want to work with you. And I think the old way of safety with walking around with clipboards and what have you and audit check sheets, actually speaking to humans like they are humans, gets you the best intel that help you move forward. And I found that that really 
really pushed me into the business and got me engaged with the guys on the ground. Thank you very much, Carolyn. Thank you. Adam, what about you? Hi, so I'm Adam Clark. I'm the managing director of the consulting arm of Praxis 42. I'm in my 18th year as a health and safety apprentice. Interestingly, I took over as MD February 2020. Some of you might remember that time. Spent a month writing a really interesting business plan and then threw it away. We had a lot of hospitality and leisure, retail clients, which we go out and do a lot of things for. And uh, then we realized, well, we can't do this anymore. So, yeah, our clients were looking to us, how are we going to cope with this? How are we going to um, move forward? And, you know, because it was such an unknown, it's not something we've experienced before to this level. We had no real blueprint of what we we're going to do. But, you know, it was about taking that leap of faith and, and we'll go down this direction and we'll try this based on what we currently know. And as this case evolves, we'll tweak as we go along. You had to make a decision on how you were going to approach it and you know, I had the difficult decision about um, you know, putting some people on furlough at some time because they simply couldn't go out. It's not an easy decision to make, but we're looking to leaders to actually make decisions that are in everybody's best interests. You know, that was really difficult. I think the other side of it was people got more exposure, more exposure to the senior teams. If you were a lonely health and safety manager in an organisation and suddenly when the news broke, you're being asked into a, you know, an environment like that you may not have been exposed to before. It's like, wow, that's, that's quite a step up. And we had people we were trying to support through the kind of conversations that you need to be having and you know, helping lead your organisation. So there's a lot of people that you know, got exposure that they perhaps have never had before, which was um, you know, a really interesting challenge. And throw in the fact that we all had our own individual lives to to deal with alongside that to um, Carolyn's point like reading the legislation trying to absorb it overnight to then brief people in the morning whilst also having to get up with a three-year-old in the middle of the night I mean that's fun isn't it (laughs) thank you thank you very much and actually Adam alluded there to some of the challenges as well and I think most of this session is going to be about the opportunities like how can we move forward from this point that we're in but let's just acknowledge that there has been challenging as well so obvious place let's start with the person for the nhs (laughs) challenges so for health and safety specifically what kind of challenges did covid present which might have stopped you from doing some of the things actually you planned to do so we were just about to start an audit program just before covid that had to go on hold had to pull a lot of our team were redeployed into other areas as well to support what was happening So we had to park that and go, what are the things that will stop us delivering the service? So social distancing and working from home doesn't work very well if you need to see patients. So we had to work out how do we do social distancing in the NHS with guidance that changed for the rest of the world changed every month. For us daily, we were getting guidance. So we were having daily calls. The opportunity that came out of that is we realized the NHS moves really slowly in decision-making, not anymore. So we would have a group executive committee every other day, which meant we put a recommendation up and get the response, get the approval within a week to go live on things. And we're trying to maintain that. The biggest opportunity though for me, very different. I'd like to be a health and safety person who walks around. So I could still walk around, which you probably lost out on. In the NHS, we got to walk around and see our staff, give them that reassurance. But now it means they come back to me. They know my face, it's hard to miss. Even under a mask, you can still see this sticking out. So they know who I am, they come, and they're much more open to a conversation now about health and safety. And one of the things that we had to do was to do a risk assessment for every single NHS worker to look at their risk factors coming in. 
how many people have had a 20-minute conversation on a risk assessment about themselves? None. Most people go, what's a risk assessment? It's a pain, it's thrust under me, read this. This was about them. So their understanding of risk assessment and where it comes in for the NHS has just shot up because it's about protecting them and enabling them rather than what it was before, which was just a bit of paperwork, which was a pain. So, Matt, I love the fact they ask you about challenges and even the challenges yeah. you manage to turn into opportunities. So it's very impressive. But let's hear also from Carolyn on these challenges <coughs> and then I'm going to come back to looking more at opportunities. The challenge that we had was I was still in a business that worked throughout the pandemic. So to actually make sure that people were trained up and standards and safety didn't slip, we had to come up with innovative ideas. I was new in a business, so it was like, who do I go to? And it was a challenge. It was we had to make sure that we we wanted people to the same standards as they had before and it wasn't compromised. So we did on the back of that, we actually got recognised out in an award ceremony for getting an award of, of the of the changes we've made to make sure that safety wasn't compromised. So that was really challenging because I didn't know anybody. I didn't know who to approach. I didn't know what their take on what I was gonna do was about. But to be honest, I think they were just grateful that people were gonna get trained. We had to get new people and there was all the social distancing. And I've had teams calls and train people over teams and then walk past them in the office and like, you're really small, but on the teams call, you look really tall. <laughs> I've walked past multiple people. I mean, I did it the other, the other week there was a, one of the real senior people in the team that I speak to really frequently. I said, oh, who's that lady there? And it was like somebody that I speak to so frequent, but people look so different on teams. And I think one of the challenges for me was actually learning to speak really slow so people could understand me because obviously I wasn't so used to speaking over teams. I'd just pick up the phone and people could understand me and I was in a whole different location. But I mean, I was dealing with people in Europe as well. So I had to train people and speak to them and learn how to speak so people would actually understand what I was saying. So it has been a challenge, yeah. but it's also been a great opportunity to make us better. I, I've actually been part of this profession for 30 years and most of you don't look old enough to have done 30. Maybe a couple of people, <laughs> but massive, massive shifts have been occurring, haven't they? So over the last five, 10 years, we've been trying to move the profession away from clipboards and saying no to engaging getting people on board with you collaborating getting the board on board and what we've heard from these guys today is that there has been a massive step shift in that so my first question to you Adam is how does a profession build on what has been developed do you think yeah great great question I mean I think well, we've all got to recognise that the support that we've given our businesses and organisations over the last couple of years, we've got a lot of credit in the bank. Now's the time to start spending it. You know, let's look at the, um, the programmes that we want to try and achieve, the things that we put on hold. As I said, we've got access to people that we may not have had access to before and you know, people are aware of, of who we are. You know, we, we've got to use that. We've got to really use it to push our agendas forward. We've got more credibility than we've ever had. We've had business coming to us, to Matt's point, coming to us to look for you know, solutions to help push things forward. Let's use that, get more involved in the business, 
and let's be part of more conversations that we perhaps may not have been involved in in the past. Brilliant. So yours is to use some of that credit and actually make sure that we're involved in some of those conversations. Don't let people forget. Yeah. (laughs) We did have those late nights trying to work out what was going on. We were the ones who were presenting the the solutions. Um, So yeah, let's, let's use it. Brilliant. Thank you. Carolyn, what is there for you in there? I mean, I, th- I think personally, I think the fact that people have actually taken safety more seriously now, I think they've actually realised that we aren't there to criticise, we are a support function, we are there, are there to enable people, we just need to actually keep up the momentum now and build on what we've already got, as he's as, as already said, that there's credit in the bank, but I think going forward, we just need to keep where we are. But again, we also need to make sure that people can see the value in what we're doing. And I think it's took us a long time to get to this point. And I think we, as as I said, can't lose the momentum on it. Um, So for me, it's building on what we've already got, really, and taking advantage of the fact that people are invested in safety now. I think previously we were seen as a burden. Now we're there as a support and an enabling function, and we just need to keep this up. Just on that point then, that just recognizing that we're a component rather than an add-on you know we are an integrated part of of the business just not over there i'm going to ask matt but i'd also like you to be thinking if anyone would like to input and say look this is what we as a profession should be doing i'm going to give you an opportunity to to say that we've got some mics i believe although i think they're having a chat yeah yeah perfect so i'm going to ask matt and then perhaps if you could be ready with the mic so matt what for you do you think we should be doing now as a profession so I think we've managed to move away from this thing of we're quoting the regulations and saying this is in breach of X and Y and that we're all very pragmatic. If you give us the operational information, we can work around that and we can give you a safety solution and coach you through that. Whereas I think before it was seen as you go and write the policy and then you go and enforce the policy and you go and inspect the policy. Whereas now we're sat in the room and somebody will say, this is what the business needs to do. This is where the business needs to go. How do we do it safely? As opposed to write a policy in your little room, stay away from us, don't interact with that. It's broken down a lot of the silos. I think for me, I work very closely with infection control anyway, but now there isn't that thing of, there's a hierarchy in the NHS in case anyone hasn't guessed. But doctors, nurses, allied health professionals, and the clinical support groups like the health and safety now all work really closely together and we've got a doctor in the room we've got a nurse in the room we've got a director in the room we can have all of that discussion and then we've got an ops manager and put it all together in one spot rather than it was everyone did their little bit on their own you stuck in your health and safety room stay there it's that pragmatism and working within the operational group is much better very very good okay that's brilliant we've got a lady over here who'd like to talk about what we should do could you introduce yourself before you start madam thank you Hi, my name is Shona Methvin. I work for United Response and we're a big social care organisation. So like you, I, I'm sure you had the same experience over Easter 2020 when the PPE regs changed three days in a row. Yeah. What happened to us is, like the NHS, we became nimble. So that nimbleness, you know, 4,000 staff, quite a big social care organisation, but we did used to take a long time to make decisions. And I lead on infection control and health and safety. So it was like, I need a decision now. We're going to do this. So we're going to spend half a million quid on getting masks from China. That was the kind of decision that needed to be made on that day. So for me, I think you stay relevant to the organisation, but it has to be nimble. They need to know now, are they going to make it up 
that day on that afternoon. We've got 500 locations and they're not going to do what I tell them. They're going to do what they think is right. So nimble, practical, pragmatic. That's how we do it. Brilliant. Thank you very Thank much, Janet. My name is Kira Murphy. I'm one of HSC managers for a company called Jones Lang Sale. We manage a lot of real estate across the world. One thing that came out of this for me, strangely, was that actually I noticed as a health and safety professional that the whole concept of reasonably practicable went very much out the window because a lot more people that aren't in the business of managing health and safety were behind some of the decisions that have been made. So one thing that I started to realise is that this concept and this desire to want to completely zero out risk with the pandemic that gave everybody a say in, right, what do we need to do? What do we need to put in place to completely eliminate risk? But of course, as we all know, operationally, trying to zero out risk also has a wider impact on well-being, on financial resources, as well as operational. So for me, building on this as a way of how do we manage crisis, everything, there's a lot to learn from, but reconnecting with that very original principle that formed the whole health and safety culture as we know today, which is applying that concept of reasonably practicable and understanding that we're never going to be able to zero out risk. And if we do, it's weighing up those benefits of doing that versus continuity. So 50 years approaching, I think, since the Health and Safety at Work Act, I think it's a good opportunity as well to just re-energise that very original concept before all of the kind of red tape and the conquers stories and things like that came out and everybody started, you know, wrapping everyone up in cotton wool. But yeah, that's my kind of main theme from it. Thank you very much. Thank you. If we think about taken more seriously by the board, fantastic. Less silos, more collaboration. All of these things are really positive. And then there's certainly been a theme that I've picked up, certainly from you guys as well, around engaging with people on the ground. So people understanding more why it matters if their PPE fits, for example, and people wanting to talk to you about the health and safety risks. How do we as a profession build on that? And if you could also comment on language, which is a particular bugbear of mine, the word risk assessment gives people that are not health and safety professionals the heebie-jeebies, you know? Are there things that we could do around language, for example? Let me start with you, Matt, on that one. I mentioned that just before COVID, we were going to start auditing. And post-COVID, the NHS had to reset. All of our wards, all our clinical areas needed to reset. And I thought, if we say we're going to come and do a safety audit, that's really scary. So we've reframed it, and it's a health and safety health check. We're asking the same questions, but the door is opening a lot easier when we call it a health check. We're here to help you, as opposed to we're here to audit you. We're still getting the same assurance. We're still doing that. We've also changed the language that we use around return to work risk assessments. That's for two reasons. So my bugbear on return to work risk assessment is usually what happens is occupational health go do a risk assessment. The manager goes, health and safety, come and do this. And that doesn't help. So we're changing it to a return to work conversation between the manager and the employee. And it's a supportive conversation with guidance. And that's the key thing. We've got to put that guidance. We've got to get away from the kind of the putting up the barrier and say, here's some special words around what we talk about. Use plain language. Make sure that everyone understands what we're saying. Risk assessment is is kind of laden. So there are tints that need to do it. But risk management starts to move us away. How do we manage the risk? Rather than, as you say, how do we eliminate all risks? No, how do we manage this risk? What do we accept? Risk appetite, things like that. And I think working with risk specialists, health and safety has sometimes gone 
strategic risk and health and safety risks. Well, I manage both now. It's great, so I can join them up. So changing the language away from this scary secret language and allowing everyone to understand it, hopefully. Thank you. And out of interest, if risk overall is part of your role, can you just give a, a little hands up? A few of you, a few of you. Interesting the way that those things are coming together. I actually got put on the board because they decided that we want people to know that we actually care. It's not all about commercial. And what we actually did was emphasise the fact that we actually want you to like coming to work. We want to make sure that you're safe in work. And we sort of set the store from the board down, really, in the fact that, yes, we're going to have a safety person on the board, which hasn't been done before. And obviously, I've always got an interest as I'm risk adverse for our staff, so I sort of channeled that in. The staff then would see, but well, we even call them colleagues, not even staff. We actually put all our colleagues in work could see that. And then we started to share that, like, this is where we are, this is where we want to be, and this is what we're going to do in between. So rather than using all the terminology of like strategy and all this, but people are like, what does that even mean? We started saying, right, this is the plan and this is what we're going to do. You're going to help because you want to, because you're going to understand it. Rather than this is what you're actually going to do, whether you like it or you're not, we're here. And we want people to have the feedback. So I've always been on about like engagement and collaboration. And in a nutshell, that's just speaking to the people on the ground who give you the best intel in the business that help you move forward. And I found that the business that I'm in now particularly is people are actually wanting to see safety people. They actually get phone calls. Where are you? You've not been for a couple of weeks rather than people running away. And they're starting to understand what safety means now. They've become reliant on us during the pandemic and they're also understanding what it means. Whereas I say, it's words like risk assessment and they just see the word risk and they don't want to know. But if you just say, look, it's to help you do your job safely. So you go home to your family. They're like, great, what do we need to do? And it's there's that. different language that you do for the board than the you work with the workers, yeah. isn't there? That's, That's the making thing. it land. Absolutely, yeah. making it land, yeah. So who else has seen people actually want to see you now? A few of you, <laughs> but yeah, a few of you are wanting to be seen. That's really good. Thank you. Adam, what have you noticed in the consultancy capacity here? Well, so it's not really consultancy, but for me, the last two years, we all had our own just cause. We were all focused on surviving through a pandemic. And when we're talking about all the different people that need to be involved... You know, operationally, both on the shop floor, manager, board level. We all had a just cause, a focus on the thing that we wanted to achieve. And I think that's what gave us some great results. People were all focused on this is what we wanted to do, this is what we need to manage. And now, what does that look like post-pandemic? And it's being genuinely about people. Not forget safety first, well-being first, any of that. It's, it's just about people. We've got to talk to people in the language that they understand. It was said earlier about... If you're a shop floor worker, no one cares what regulation it is. It's about asking them some questions and really listening. Explain to me, what do you do? And then from time to time, for us to drop in a question, oh, well, how do you do that? Or what happens if you do this? So that we can really learn. And then, you know, if we're going back to a, a risk assessment, it's a way of working. And we all want to come or form a way of working that means people are healthy, happy, safe, and everything else that goes with it. Yeah, I really think that's an interesting idea there, this idea that it's all just about people. And that's where health, safety, well-being, it all fits together. I'm Helen Mackey. I'm Assistant Director of the States at St Andrews University. And one of the issues that we have up there, and it's something that 
you know, I continually raise with our senior managers is we work in an academic environment, but we're not all academics yeah. within there. And we rely heavily on our operational staff for managing the day-to-day -day activities, yeah. more so through COVID. I'm always saying that things should be written in a format that everybody should be able to understand, okay? We all work within a multicultural environment. Yeah. So it's important, you know, that we have to do training to make sure everybody's trained and be aware of the challenges that come with working in a multicultural environment. Yeah. For me, that's another challenge that we have there and being aware within an organisation, you know, the things that you were saying about language, that they are written in kind of layman's terms yeah. yes. across the board so everybody feels included in it because, you know, my staff are saying to me, oh, I don't think that relates to us because they don't, don't understand, understand it. it. Exactly. Thank you very much. Matt would like to say something about that. So I think in the first week of COVID, they translated the COVID guidance into about 47 languages. Actually, what they then did in the second week, it was in pictures. And went, how can we communicate this in a way that is absolutely universal? Because I have to now look down this poster, and generally they sent us massive posters, which is mine. <laughs> so moving into pictures, moving into different conversations. So we get a lot of e-learning. Well, I've worked in universities as well. It doesn't work for our people who are out operationally. So going back to the old things that work, toolbox talks, where you just go, let's cascade the training, give it to the supervisor who can speak in whatever language is appropriate in that setting and help it go through. So we moved away from that, the pictorial. We went back into the old things that worked before COVID and went having the conversations that were in there and coaching, exactly what you were saying. It's asking the questions of what's going on. Work has done, work has imagined. Actually, That's what so is it that you're though. actually doing? <laughs> in the space and now they trust us mm. to say actually this is what our SOP says this doesn't work we're crawling under here we're going in there what would help you and they'll actually genuinely answer now we never had that before COVID mm. no no it's fine because I'll get in trouble just culture is massive in the NHS so we're pushing just culture and I've made sure it applies to health and safety as well not just patient safety that's the nice thing of having the two hats I can say we cannot look after our patients if we don't look after our staff, and that's the same for all of us. And I think COVID's brought that forward. We can't help in a shop, we can't help in a university. If the staff aren't there, yeah. or the colleagues aren't there, that's really important for me. Carolyn, what, what do you think about that? I think the priority for me personally is to keep getting people engaged in safety and moving it forward. I mean, just recently I've had an internal vacancy and the amount of people that have actually applied for it in health and safety who don't have the skill set. I was actually inundated with requests because people have understood a bit more about safety since I've They don't I've have the skill it. set or they don't have the knowledge? They don't, they don't have the skill set for safety at the moment. Right. They've the skill set in the business. They okay. haven't got the safety knowledge. They've right. got it at the level that they need, but we're going to upskill them. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah, what yeah. I've decided to do is take in somebody that's got loyalty to the business, that wants to move across into safety, that has now got an interest in health and safety, whereas previously, pre-pandemic, he hated safety. He told me he hated safety. He dreaded seeing any safety person ever walking through the door and obviously he now wants to use the skill set that he's got in his role and upskill himself and use it which brings a whole different dynamic to my team so I'm all for it so he's now actually joining me next month 
and I think it's important that they have put the trust in us through the pandemic. They have stayed with us in the business. We have all muddled through almost to get to where we are today with making sure that everybody can understand what Boris was saying and how to interpret it and what have you. And now I think, from my point of view, it's like my priority is keep it up there and keep it real with the guys. They want to do safety, so... I'm willing to let them come and work and do it and they want to put the trust in me to do it and I think it is a priority to just keep safety as a focus but not a negative focus. How positive. brilliant though that you've had a whole load of people apply yes. internally. Well you're doing something right there for sure. Two, I'm actually, I've actually convinced my MD, I said I've had that many people who want to go. If I went externally, can I not have two internally? And he's agreed. Whoa, well done. So I'm getting well two done. of them. They both start on the 13th of June. So I'm super excited. And these were people, I mean, one more so than the other who didn't like safety, but yeah. And they're both joining me next month, but they'll bring operational angles. They'll bring different angles to the business because they're in different areas in the business. And they're actually coming into the safety, which will enhance what we do now. Yeah. Matt, what about you? So I think our priority is to push the culture and lift it from where it is. So we've increased the safety culture, but there's still more that can be done on the journey. It needs to be that point where everyone can just put their hand up and go, I don't feel safe right now, something's wrong. I think COVID helped us get there a little bit because people realised it was okay to say, I haven't got the right PPE. I don't know what I'm doing safely in here. This thing isn't there. We've moved away from health and safety being something that people use to complain about work. That was something that I'm sure most of you have had. My manager's not listening to me. What's health and safety going to do about it? To being more like, we've got a problem, how can you help us to solve it? So getting the culture in there, and it's top down and bottom up now. Okay. And I think before health and safety felt like it was kind of top down and pushed off to the side. Yes. Now it's yes. embedded in all the levels. Any final words from any of you? Anything you'd like to say? Never again. <laughs> I think we've all done it. <laughs> that's a great way to finish. At least we're prepared this time. We are, that's true, yeah. that's true. Has there anything for you? Oh, no, I think what's been great is that it's exposed a lot of vulnerabilities and people, I say, in the shared causes. No matter what role we were doing, everybody has a story to tell out of the pandemic. And we all, I think, became a little bit more tolerant, all had a little bit more empathy. I really want to see that carry on, you know, put yourself in somebody else's really shoes. Nice. I've always been fascinated about the way health and safety is perceived, particularly in the UK, and certainly don't think the profession should shy away from the fact that the pandemic has given health and safety a platform within businesses. I was struck by a couple of points in this discussion. The people on the shop floor are now actively seeking out health and safety and want to see them, and that the pandemic has changed the pace in which things get actioned within businesses but especially that the pandemic has given health and safety professionals more exposure, particularly at board level, and that the profession has now become attractive to a younger audience. It's time to capitalise on those trends and opportunities and use them to your advantage within your business. I'd like to thank Heather Beach, Adam Clark, Matt Hall and Caroline Smith for their time recording this session, and to you for tuning in and listening. If you are new to the Safety and Health podcast, please do go back and check out our previous episodes. Last time out, we heard from Suki Hodgwood, who looked at safety and design and safety's role in ensuring buildings are not only safe to construct, but also usable for those who will be living, working and recreationally using the space. Then Paul Richardson discussed how digitalised safety processes can transform a workplace. If you like what you hear, you can follow the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. We're also available on your smart speaker. Simply ask to play the Safety and Health podcast. 
We'd be really grateful if you could rate and comment on your chosen platform, as that will really help us to get the shows out to a wider audience. Please do stay tuned to shponline.co.uk for the very latest in health and safety news, where you can also sign up to our e-newsletter. Thank you very much for listening and see you on the next episode. Thank you.